following is a recording of a sermon given at All Saints Lutheran Church in Ottawa, Canada. For additional messages and more information, visit allsaintslutheran.ca. We are now in the seventh installment, the final installment of what I've been calling my calibration series. And as I mentioned each week, I believe that uh, we need a time to realign, which is really what gathering together and contemplating God's word is all about. And I want to encourage everyone, if you're not doing this already, we need to spend time in God's word and in prayer every day. Because uh, uh, while we might need some major realignment from time to time, we certainly need it every day. I think it was C.S. Lewis that once talked about how something happens when we go to bed at night that somehow the, and I know, and I know God's grace is always with us, but something happens overnight that uh, those things that God's been doing in our lives, and it seems to be all gone by the time we wake up in the morning. And there's a sense in which that's not true because God is as with us uh, in the morning as he was the day before. But um, we, we tend as 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 we're going through process and even the process of, of going through a night and for some people nighttime isn't an easy time other people they they're out like a light and uh have uh the, the joy of refreshing sleep but even then you know getting up in the morning it's so important to to get realigned with the lord again to get prepared for that day and that day though we're we're living in a, a day that probably has never really been. Well, of course, that of course not. There's, there's never been a, a March the sixth, two thousand and twenty-two. But we're going through certain things in our society and in the world that that no one's ever gone through before. Uh, yes, there have been wars. Yes, there has been unrest. Yes, there has been pandemics. Yes, there has been all sorts of things. But when you add up all the various factors, and including how we live in a, a highly uh, tech, um, technological age, uh, we live in a day where there's never been so much information. And at the same time, then we're, now we're hearing about misinformation and disinformation and, and all, all this. There's so much information coming from us. How do we really know what to believe? And yet, we have God's word. We have the Lord Jesus who's promised to be with us. We have the Holy Spirit given to us to fill us. But the circumstances of our lives, uh, this is really uncharted territory for us as individuals and maybe as a world. And yet God knew and God knows and so the only way to navigate these days effectively is by staying close to the Lord. That's not actually, that's not natural for us because we naturally go to lean on what we know. That we're people of habit. Uh, we're, we, we like predictability. So we rely on those things that we know. We want to face today like we face tomorrow. We want to do this year, well, maybe not like we did last year. Maybe we want to go back a few years before things got so out of whack. But whether it's further issues with illness or other things, 
Um, so much is changing, and it's changing so fast. Uh, the, the, the threat of war today, and it's been true for the last many, many decades, uh, there, was a, there was a generation uh, prior that didn't have to be concerned about nuclear war. And I think for a long time now, we thought, we might have even thought those, those concerns were over. There was a time in the 50s and the 60s where there was so much worry about nuclear war and we're hearing that kind of talk again and for the first time in a long time it looks like it's 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 well it's way more possible than it it seemed to be now we don't know what's going to be only god knows what's going to be and to think that if we keep close to him he who knows everything and knows the end from the beginning that's the way we can walk in effect, live an effective godly life. And that's why, and I've brought it up, and we're going to keep bringing it up over the next little while, we need to remember that we don't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And I'm very concerned, my brothers and sisters, that we've been giving ourselves to other voices, thinking that that's responsible are we truly giving ourselves to the voice of God? If we are not in his written word daily, at least most days in the week, and if we have not taken the time with our lives to immerse ourselves in this, there are many believers that have never even read through the Bible once, or they pick and choose passages that they like. So they're not allowing themselves to be exposed to all of the counsel of God in his word. And then are we listening to him through prayer? Some people don't even believe he speaks to us. But this book tells us that he does, and that's why I believe he does. And even if I, even if I never heard his voice, I would believe that he speaks to us. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice, and they will not follow another. So if, if we are not hearing God the way the Bible says we should hear God, then the problem is not on his end. But he's so gracious and to, to, to want to communicate with us. Are we taking advantage of our, the heavenly resources at our disposal? And so as we're drawing an end, how do I say that? We're getting, to, this is the last installment of the calibration series, but it's also, it's going to be the first of my new series. As we see, we're going to look at the aftermath of what happened to Elijah, what we looked last week when he confronted the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel and fire came down from heaven and all that. We're going to look at what happened to him next. So I'm calling it the aftermath. And he makes a journey into the wilderness. And this week began uh, a time of year that much of the church worldwide observes as time of Lent. Lent simply means spring. It's a time of preparation as we get ready to focus especially on the Lord's death and resurrection next month. Um, the Lenten season traditionally is a time to focus on the Lord's time of trial in the wilderness. And we read that passage um, from Luke chapter 4, and we're going to look at that passage. We're actually going to look at the Matthew 
uh, version of that story in a couple of weeks. But So what we're going to do is we're going to venture into the wilderness and, and discover what God has to teach us there. And because he, and we're ending the calibration series by seeing what God taught Elijah in his wilderness experience uh, that followed that great dramatic victory on Mount Carmel. So Elijah's venture into the into the wilderness is actually his second time to go into wilderness. Not there was a lot of wilderness. Uh, there still is a lot of wilderness in the land of Israel today. It's it's quite accessible, and it's quite the wilderness. We'll talk about that more probably in the next couple of weeks. But the first time Elijah ventured into the wilderness was when he pronounced drought uh, to King Ahab, and then he went by a brook. He went to a place where you don't you cannot fend for yourself, you cannot provide for yourself. You in the wilderness. You're entirely reliant upon God for protection and provision. And it's in the wilderness very often, I might say most often, that we learn the most important lessons of how to trust in God. Because when we're not in the wilderness, whether the people of Israel leave the wilderness and they establish towns and and farms and all this, there's a tendency to rely on the works of our own hands. And we live in a society that's just full of the works of our own hands. And so we so easily rely on the things that we've made and the, the things that, that that protect ourselves and the things that provide us with, with comfort, the things that provide us with healing. All these good things, when they are good, they come from God. But because there's just, we have so much stuff, it's so easy to rely on it. But it's in the wilderness we learn the truth of having to rely on God. And so that's where Elijah went for a time where God took care of him. And then we come to um, the what we looked at last week, where he called for the prophets of Baal and Asherah uh, to... Uh, to a confrontation on Mount Carmel in the north of Israel. We don't know why the prophets of uh, Asherah didn't show up, only the prophets of Baal did, but it was quite a scene. We looked at that last week where he challenged the uh, the prophets of Baal to do a sacrifice, call out to Baal, and then he would do the same thing, call out to the, the Lord God of Israel, whichever God answers, he's truly God. Nothing happened with Baal, no duh. And then... Uh, he calls upon the, the true God. He sends fire and consumes, uh, obliviates the altar and everything around it. Um, and then there's this great victory over the prophets of Baal. And so the, it, it's a great, it's a great victory. And the people, it said all Israel was there, probably a representation of the whole nation. And when they saw the fire come down from heaven, they did exactly what Elijah thought they would do. They turned back to the Lord instead of vacillating between the Lord and the false God, and they say, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. And so let's look at the very next thing that happens. This is 1 Kings 18, verses 41 through 44. And Elijah said to Ahab, go up, eat and drink, for there is a sound of the rushing of rain. So Ahab went up to eat and to drink, and Elijah went up to the top of Mount Carmel. He actually had gone there was a slaughter of the prophets of Baal down at a brook at the bottom of the mountain. And he came back up to the top. 
And it says, And he bowed down to the earth and put his face between his knees. And he said to his servant, Go up now, look toward the sea. And he went up and looked and said, There's nothing. And he said, Go again, seven times. And one of the things with the Bible, things are said so quickly, it doesn't take the time usually to flesh things out. But you have to picture here, Elijah's praying, tells his servant to go check if there's rain coming. No rain, no clouds. He comes back, tells him, he prays again. We don't know for how long, sends the servant back. And this happens seven times. And at the seventh time, seventh time he said, behold, the servant is speaking, a little cloud like a man's hand is rising from the sea. And he, that's Elijah, said, Go up, say to Ahab, prepare your chariot and go down, lest the rain stop you. And I've experienced this too, and you're you're waiting on the Lord and nothing's happening, and then you get a little inkling, and something happens there, you know, with through that little inkling, the big thing is coming. And so the the drought's about to end. Um, but I, I one thing I want to briefly point out here is the earnestness of Elijah's prayer. This is where James says in his letter, chapter 5, the middle of verse 16 through verse 18, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, just he's just like us, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain, which we don't read about in the Bible. It says that he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. Now, Intellectually, I tend to think that all we need to do is just ask God what we want, you know, like a checklist. Lord, we need this, 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 and this. Amen. And then we wait. If God wants to answer it, he will. If he doesn't want to answer it, he won't. We don't know why he doesn't want to answer it, but and we're thankful when he does answer it. And that's kind of our prayers. Lord, please do this. Please do that. Please do the other thing. But that doesn't seem to be the biblical model. It's not the biblical example. The biblical example is earnest, fervent prayer earnest fervent prayer read the psalms and the psalms when you read a psalm that doesn't mean that's everything that david or other people prayed about whatever it was but you can get the intensity when you read those those those, those we read the psalms and so we see here and then read it back about for this fervent prayer into this uh, seven times he prayed again intellectually i have a hard time with this except Elijah knew a lot more about prayer than I do. And so I think I need to take that into account. And maybe I should be praying more fervently than I tend to do. So then the next thing that happens, uh, so um, we read, um, read verses 45 and 46 of 1 Kings 18, continuing on. And in a little while, while the heavens grew black with clouds and wind, there was a great rain, and Ahab rode and went to Jezreel. And the hand of the Lord was on Elijah, and he gathered up his garment and ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. So Ahab runs in front of a sorry Elijah runs in front of Ahab's chariot, um, which is something that people did. It seemed that he had an extra supernatural ability to do this, and he ran about 27 kilometers to Jezreel. So notice how physically, spiritually, and emotionally exhausted Elijah is at this time. 
from all that went on. Remember, there was already drought and famine conditions. Then whatever happened up on the mountain with the prophets of Baal, the, the slaughter of the prophets, going up and down the mountain more than once, praying fervently. We don't know how long that took, but if you have ever experienced true fervent prayer, like deep down from inside, that too, physically, emotionally, spiritually exhausted. Now he runs 27 kilometers. And then something else happens. And by the way, I was going to mention this earlier. I'm, I I did a message on this just about a year ago. Um, a year ago minus a week. Last year, I did a series called Just Like Us, where I was showing how the people in the Bible, including the Lord Jesus, are just like us. And you can look that up. The playlist is there on um, our our uh, our channel. You can uh, so you can check that out. Uh, the purpose of looking at how the people of the Bible are just like us is so that we could be just like them, especially in the in in the good the good parts, the the ways they the ways they are good examples. So here is Elijah, uh, we're, and we're going to be looking at some similar things that we did a year ago. But there's something that I've learned about this story that I really wasn't I wasn't even open to last year, and I'll explain in a moment. So now we're in chapter 19 of 1 Kings. The first three verses we read, Ahab told Jezebel, his wife, she's like the wicked witch of the West, Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he killed all the prophets with the sword. And Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid, and he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. So here's the great Elijah. He's called down fire from heaven. He saw a great victory. He saw the people turning back to God. He ran in front of Ahab's chariot. Things looked so good, but then all of a sudden his life's threatened. He's afraid, and he takes off and runs for his life. He runs about, and I don't know if he ran the whole time, about 180 kilometers to get from where he was to the southern part of of the land of Israel in Beersheba. Um, so now I, I, this his, begins his venture into the wilderness. We're looking at 1 Kings 19 verses 4 through 18, and I'm going to read and comment as we go along. So this is after the 180 kilometers we read. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. So he journeyed another 40 kilometers approximately. And this broom tree is some type of a large bush. It's often referred to as a juniper. And they're found in, in the wilderness in that part of the world and other parts of the world. And they're excellent in providing shade. Continuing in verse 4 still. Sorry, something made a noise. And he asked that he might die, saying, It's enough now, O Lord. Take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. So basically, Elijah saying, He's done. Remember who Elijah is, all that he did, both in terms of all the drama, all the victory, and how exhausted he must be now. Verse 5. He lay down and slept under a broom tree, And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, 
There was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water, and he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank, and went in the strength of that food forty days and nights to Horeb, the mount of God. And so God sent an angel to to replenish him, to um, give him the, the rest and the nourishment that he need to prepare him for another 40-day journey further into the wilderness to Horeb, which is another name for Mount Sinai. It looks like Elijah was heading back, going back to the beginning, so to speak, to where God met so dramatically with the people of Israel, spoke to Moses and gave his word to the people through Moses. Verse 9, there he came to a cave and lodged in it. So now he's at Mount Horeb, Mount Sinai. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? That's a probing question. And something, this is kind of the beginning of what I really wasn't noticing when I talked about this last year. This doesn't sound positive. What are you doing here, Elijah? So here's Elijah's answer. uh, Verse 10, he said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. I wish I knew what he actually sounded like when he said this, the emotion coming out of him. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets by the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. What happened to the victory? What what happened to all that happened on the mountain? All that good stuff. It's not in the list. All, it's, he's the... He's the only, he thinks he's the only one, and it's all negative. Now, I understand this psychologically. I and many others, maybe some of you, can completely relate to what Elijah's going through. Now, I've never been through anywhere, anything near the intensity of what he went through, the good, the bad, and the ugly. I have my own set of stuff, as many of you do. And so here's something hugely positive happened. Now, again, the the physical draining that he must, even while things were going well, it must have been so difficult. But anyway, it ended up really, really well. He gets threatened and it's as if none of the good stuff happened. What difference is the big victory? He might be thinking, well, so what? So all this nice thing happened, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God, but nothing, nothing changed. Jezebel is still manipulating her her wimpy husband, who's one of the is is we're told by he up to then he was the most wicked king in all of Israel. Elijah wins this great victory in God's name. Nothing's changed, and he's running for his life. Verse 11, and he that is God said, go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? The same question. And so Elijah, it looks like Elijah was expecting the, the drama of the giving of the Torah, the, the word of God, the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai with Moses, with the lightning and the loud voice and all the rest. 
and that maybe that was his attempt to find recalibration getting back to the to the the, the source of God's relationship with the people of Israel so to speak maybe that's what he was doing but it's interesting he didn't get what he was expecting he got what he needed and he met the Lord but this time the Lord came with a still small voice is the way we often hear it a gentle whisper um, and, and I may have said this before a lot of people think that's how God speaks today because that's what he did with Elijah and what I learned from this is when we go to hear from God let's not go with expectations except the expectation that we'll hear him but how he's gonna speak maybe it's gonna be through thunder and lightning maybe it's gonna be through a still small voice we don't know let's be open to the Lord and how he wants to speak to us and thankfully thankfully even though Elijah expected one thing he was open to what he got but notice what he got was the exact same question and here's Elijah's answer to the question what are you doing here Elijah verse 14 he said I've been very jealous for the Lord the God of hosts for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant thrown down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword and I even I am only am left and they seek my life to take it away it's the exact same answer to the exact same question and I double-checked the Hebrew the Hebrew is identical Elijah gives God the exact same answer so God speaking to him there's no doubt God speaking to him but Elijah is completely stuck in how he sees his life and the situation before him so then we see the Lord's reply verse 15 through verse 18 I'm reading and the Lord said to him go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus and when you arrive you shall anoint Hazael to be king over Syria and Jehu the son of Nimshi you shall anoint to be king over Israel and Elisha the son of Shaphat of Abelam of Abel Meholah you shall anoint to be prophet in your place and the one who escapes from the sword of Hazael shall Jehu put to death and the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death yet I will leave 7,000 Israel 7,000 in Israel all the knees that have not bowed to Baal and every mouth that has not kissed him so notice the Lord ignores Elijah's words which he said twice same question same answer I'm the only one left God completely ignores him ignores what he says doesn't ignore him ignores what he says and simply gives him his the next assignments that he's supposed to do and also tells him you're wrong Elijah you're wrong you're not looking at this properly I guess he didn't completely ignore his question he contradicts him and says you're not alone there are seven other uh, 7,000 others in Israel who have been faithful and Elijah should have known that he knew some of those people and yet in his depression in his despair in his exhaustion he couldn't see the truth God had to remind him and so what I've what the way I used to see this until recently is that this was a case of of common in a sense depression and how God was gracious with a man he took care of him at, in his journey through the wilderness and, and rejuvenates him and he speaks to him and he doesn't give up on him and he gives his next assignment and then Elijah, Elijah goes on his way and I 
I thought that was it. And isn't that wonderful? Because I've gotten discouraged and I've gotten depressed and, and I've I've looked over the precipice of despair and, and I'm not proud of that. But, you know, just finding myself in that really, really dark place. And, and I, but I, re, I remember a person like Elijah. And many years ago, I read a book and it talked about uh, um, things like this. And it really encouraged me to know that the people of the Bible are just like us. And so if there's hope for them, there's hope for us. But anyway, uh, prior to me ever doing this series, I was going through First Kings on my own for my own personal time with the Lord. And as part of that, I came upon a commentary that I was reading, and I, I think I interviewed this man first. So on my Thinking Biblically podcast, I've had on twice Regent College professor, Bible scholar, Dr. Ian Proven. And Dr. Proven wrote a commentary on First and Second Kings. And as I'm reading his commentary and I get to this story, all of a sudden I'm seeing there, wait, that he's not he's not being as nice to Elijah as, uh, as I've been. That he's pointing out that Elijah in some ways actually blew it. I'm thinking, what? You're being too hard on him. Here, after all that Elijah's been through, all the good that he's done, how exhausted he is, so he collapses like any human being would do and Dr. Province was saying that yeah but he he was losing focus he was in a in a pity party he was you know pitting himself and and that's and that's not good so I actually wrote him uh, just in preparation for this week and I told him what I just told you how I used to think of the story the challenge of 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 um of reading his commentary and it's you know, do you still think this? Because he wrote it a while ago. And he wrote back and he said, somewhere, this is directly from uh, Dr. Province's email to me, somewhere between exaggerated self-loathing and exaggerated self-importance, bothly partly the product of selective memory, there's a quiet place where Elijah must rest content with who he is and what he has done. And so Dr. Province was saying that it's both. So there's that natural human frailty aspect, but maybe we're too easy on ourselves not and for myself too we have to be very careful not to allow ourselves go to those dark places we might end up there in those places of great discouragement but we need to learn a lesson from this story that that how we're perceiving things in those places is can be just plain wrong and maybe god can help us not to get not to get there especially those of us that are more prone to that. Um, now, as I've already mentioned, it, it's possible that Elijah thought that, and, and this is where he got tripped up, that when God gave him the task to challenge the prophets of Baal, and God came through exactly as Elijah expected, and the people responded with the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God, that Elijah thought, that's it, it's fixed. Everything's fixed. Everything's going to be better. Ahab would repent. Jezebel, who knows what would happen to what'll happen to wicked Jezebel. Maybe she'd repent too, don't know. And we can get back to a better life. But that's not what happened. The next day was more or less like the day before. There were some really good things that happened. There were some lives that looks like looked like they had changed. The message of who God really was had gotten out. But the general state of the society was the same. It was still broken. It was still sinful. And I think that's one of the things that happens. Maybe some of you have been through times of revival. 
And we expect that when God breaks through, whether it's in our local congregation or in our city or even in our country or even spots around the world, we think, oh, everything's just going to get better and better. And it doesn't. Often, many of the things in the world around us get worse. God, Some of God's people are getting better. We're walking with God closer. We're hearing him better. We're filled with his spirit more like than ever before. People are getting their lives uh, 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 together. Uh, marriages are being repaired. Uh, families are being restored. Uh, uh, congregations are, are beginning to fill. And yet other parts of, of the society are getting worse. And I wonder if our ex- offense, our expectations of how of, of how things are going to be when God's working in our lives that we end up losing focus. Again, like Peter, he's walking on the water and yet then he gets, he, there's still winds and waves. Maybe he thought it's going to be sunny, smooth uh, journey here on in. We're just going to glide on the water. But no, Peter, when you learn to walk in the water, you're being invited into the another level of the spiritual battle. Things are going to become more difficult, which they did for him, of course. More difficult, more crucial, often more potentially scaring, not less. And yet what happens when we get our eyes on all that stuff We forget the great things that God has been doing in our lives. And so we need to learn the lesson for what happened with Elijah, that how he got so distracted by the way things had not all improved. Thankfully, God didn't reject him. And God doesn't reject us, but he does correct us. And we need to be open to that correction. And so, brothers and sisters, I believe that the world that we're in, is it's going to get a lot worse. Um, many have been saying that for a long time, but the writing's on the wall, and we're going to be facing challenges that we've never faced before. It doesn't take the Lord by surprise, and he will help us, but we need to be open to him, to how he wants to teach us in this time. And so we're going to be, in the next few weeks, learning some lessons as we journey into the wilderness with the Lord. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you again for your word. We thank you for your goodness. And will you please prepare us for the days ahead? Lord, those areas of our lives that you have been seeking to deal with, that we've continued to hide away, would you please allow us to open every door in our hearts that you would have full access to our lives. Open our ears to hear you at this time and make us all that you want us to be. We need you. We need you more desperately than we know. God, I believe there's going to be a lot of water walking that you're going to call us to in the next little while. You're going to call us to venture into into areas that are completely unknown to us. But your word says that even the darkness is light to you. And oh, what we have in you. Your word tells us that the resources of heaven are at our disposal. Open our eyes, open our hearts to see all that you have for us this time. 
Help us to walk closely with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. For additional messages and more information, please visit us on the web at allsaintslutheran.ca.